Now, uh, having said that, today's opener isn't quite as wacky as they sometimes are. It's just kind of a wow kind of story. That's all. So, uh, yeah, I was looking uh, at this. Um, um, did you look at it? This is kind of an interesting. We've started now. Um, I, I haven't. I haven't listened to it. Let's put it that way. Okay, and and there is more to be heard, but it's it's mostly there's two. So this is a, I came across this. This is a a video about a report. I guess it's a news report, perhaps from a from a TV network or something. No, this no, is no, Australia. No, 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 no. Australian Transportation Safety. Well, but board. is it is it their video or is it a it's, news? Video it says about ATSB. Their, it's their the video. Okay, corner. so I'm ATSB. Yes, that's what it, that means. Yeah. ATSB um, video about the crash of a 747 fire bomber. 737. Okay. See, see, Emily, I told you we didn't have to know what we were talking about. <laughs> it's, it the, says so on the screen. The crash of a. It doesn't say it on my screen. Uh, I don't have it. it the, um, the crash of a big airplane, a big fireball. <laughs> it's a, and, it's uh, a light twin, so, man. Come on. Anyway, a light twin. Um, that's a story that will come up later on, actually. Uh, so, uh, so it crashed while it was fighting a fire. Um, as we all know, these fire, the firefighting aircraft and the folks who do this, it's just very, very dangerous and very requires a lot of skill. And and these folks got jammed up and and. Um, and basically got too low and crashed into the terrain. Two things I find remarkable about this story. One is the fact that these 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 pilots survived. Holy yeah. moly! Um, the the video starts out by showing the debris field um, from this crash, uh, and then it moves into a. Uh, um, a uh, recreation, a computer graphics recreation of what the flight might have looked like, um, including showing the controls, and then shows them getting low, and then at the last moment, uh, touch too late, um, adding power to try and to climb out of it, um, where they touch down on the train. It's not, it's not mountainous train exactly. It's sort of hilly train, somewhat. I, I, I don't want to use the word flat. Anyways, they 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 they, uh, they contacted the terrain. They went sliding along the terrain. Is the scars on the ground? You can see the, of the actual footage. You can see where they they skidded across the the ground, um, and then came to a stop. And the report says that the well, the pilots realized that the airplane had caught on fire, um, and they climbed out one of the uh, one of the cockpit windows and and run away, run away, got away from the airplane, um, and they survived. Thank goodness. Um, which is kind of amazing if you ask me airplane that yeah, big yeah, crashes yeah. into the ground it's always seemed to me kind of a truism that they're they're not going to you know you're not going to survive that kind of a, one of the things going for them here is the, the the long swath that they made in the, on the landscape right. it was a slow deceleration right and and that and, it was relatively flat and so that they didn't like exactly. hard contact uh, the, the ground yeah. um but uh, but it, it's pretty remarkable that that they managed to survive this, and I'm happy. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty remarkable. Um, the uh, the other thing I found interesting is that the part of the report video report shows a couple a little bit of footage of them actually disassembling the uh, flight recorder, right. um, which I thought was interesting because I've never actually seen that done before. Um, and to, you know, it shows them putting these big uh, uh, hardened hardened you know these these really rough and tumble boxes uh, on a big uh, work table and then opening them up and eventually getting down to the actual circuit boards um which i thought was kind of interesting uh to actually see that process that it's you know uh, at the heart of these things they're just circuit boards with a bunch of chips that are uh, recording uh you know the whatever it is data or voice or or whatever and i thought that well, was kind of interesting well you know the standard comment about what's the, black, the black boxes what's that 
Well, if that stuff is so good and it's yeah. so crash-proof, why don't they make the whole airplane out of it? I know, right, yeah. They just make the whole airplane out of it, and they'll be good. Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, Apparently, they were so the airplane burned up, um, which is kind of interesting, by the way. Let's think about this for a second, okay? The airplane is filled with fire retardant, yet when it hit the ground, it caught on fire, all right? It's like, huh? What's wrong with this picture? Maybe they had already dropped their load. I don't know, but... Uh, um, so uh, the boxes had been apparently been burned pretty good because I've we always see pictures of these boxes and you kind of see their you know yellow and black stripe you know uh, warning this is an important box high visibility kind of thing and this one it, it almost looked rusty I guess that was probably the effect of the the, the burning um, but uh, I don't know it was an interesting the, we'll put the link to the video in the uh, in the show notes everybody can take a look but uh, um, you know it's uh, I, I found it interesting, anyways. Um, both that it was survivable and to see the boxes in action. Um, and that's a pretty good video too. I guess you know. I mean, I'm always a, I'm always a touch suspicious of people recreating, but but since it's the ATSB um, recreating it, it has more a little more credibility. Um, a lot of civilians these days are creating videos where they're I know. creating <laughs> computer graphics. Yeah. And, and some of this, the, the wreckage literally isn't cold yet. It yeah, exactly. Cold. You know, and so I'm, I'm pretty suspicious. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm pretty suspicious about that. But the ATSB is, uh, you know, and uh, so the, the the other thing I want to say about the ATSB, all right, so we used to, perhaps still do, I hope still do, um, have not only, we certainly have listeners from Australia, we have listeners who are, um, employees of the ATSB, and in fact, uh, a bunch of years ago, they gave us all ATSB hats at uh, at the tie down party at Oshkosh, and uh, I actually have it someplace around here. I should probably take a, I don't know. I should wear it someplace sometime soon. I wear it, and everybody goes, "What ATSB? What's that?" You know. Um, I'm sorry. I, I would imagine if I wore an NTSB hat, nobody'd recognize that either. But uh, they certainly don't recognize the ATSB. Is it air? Is it Australian? Is it the same words other than national gets replaced with Australian? Yeah, Jeb, do you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. ATSB, Australian Transportation Safety Board. Board. And, oh, is ours board too? I guess it, ours is board too. Yeah, okay. It's, for some reason, I wanted to say bureau, but you're right. You it's call board. yourself a private pilot? No, no. You know what? Emily's the one who probably has, if any of us has any contact with these folks, it would be Emily, not you. Well, you're, just, you're the aviation safety guy, Jeb, so you guys. I, I want as little to do with the NTSB as possible. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a sign that something. So, anyways. All right. Uh, Emily, you've been awful quiet. Any thoughts on this uh, fire bomber crash? What do you think? Uh, no, yeah, I think it's definitely incredible that they survived. You know, it's one of those things where there are times when you see, um, you know, the recreation of crashes or whatever it is and you think, um, you know, that, you know, there are fatalities and you think, well, gosh, maybe there shouldn't have been or it doesn't seem like it was that bad. Um, and then there are times like this where, you know, aircraft are completely destroyed and it seems like against all odds somehow um, people survive. So, I, you know, it's... Yeah. A wonder, I think, uh, just an, another one of those things. I'm sure there's car crashes that are the exact same way. Um, 
but uh, you know, obviously goes to show uh, some some skill on the end of the pilots and you know a, a higher power of some sort. Hopefully, if they believe that, but I'm sure they do now. If they didn't before, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, go buy a lottery yeah. ticket right now. Yeah, yeah, really, really. There we go. All right. Well, uh, like I said, a show note we'll put in the uh, in the, we'll put a link to the video in the show notes, so you could probably could find it by searching for something. What's the? I don't have it on my screen. What's the title of the video, Jeb? Do you still have it there? Colson, C O U L S O N, seven thirty seven large air tanker preliminary okay. report. There we go. Very and good. it's uh, the uh, Twitter. I'm sorry. The YouTube user is ATSB Got it. Sounds makes sense. Okay. On that note, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from, uh, actually, the sun is out now, but it hasn't been out for the better part of a week, Dover, New Hampshire, um, where uh, I bought a, so, Jeb, I'm preparing for Oshkosh, Emily, too, I'm preparing for Oshkosh, and one of the things that I'm preparing is that uh, I wanted to experiment with using, doing solar recharging of this battery pack that I use in the campground, and so I bought one of these, you know, generic, we've all seen millions of them on the roofs of people's houses, um, a solar panel. Um, mm-hmm. The solar panel arrived about five days ago, and and I haven't seen the sun since then. There's been, <laughs> been no sun to be found, um, so I don't know if it works or not. But uh, but yeah, so that's. Uh, but actually, I do see sun right now. As a matter of fact, the sun has come out this afternoon, and that's kind of cool uh, here in Dover, New Hampshire. And joining me in my uh, in uh, my hour of virtual hangar is one good friend and one new friend. Uh, the the uh, the good friend is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. It's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm all right. We have plenty of sunshine down here. I bet you do. Yeah, um, not a cloud in the sky this morning. Uh, clouded up. Um, it's like flicking a switch. You know, it's, it started to cloud up. Um, uh, uh, dew point and uh, temperature seemed to meet at some point, about uh-huh. 1,500 feet above the ground, and boom, we have clouds. Yeah. Funny how that works. Yeah, well, I mean, I, have you moved into the uh, season of afternoon thunderstorms yet? Or you that... know, I thought we were in it last week, uh, maybe up through the weekend. This week has been relatively dry, all things considered. Um, I, I half expect it to break loose in here any minute, just because it's June and it's Florida. But um, so far it's held off. I don't know if that's just a... a Slightly lower humidity air right now, or or what it is? Yeah. So. Okay. Well, that's yeah. I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it for yeah, sure. Yeah, really, really. I, I'm I'm actually sneaking up on my visit back. I'm coming to. I'm going to be in Orlando for a job in July. Think about that for a second, folks. Who who thought that was a good <laughs> idea to go to Orlando in July? But uh, I am, and uh, I'll get a or any see. other time of the year for that matter. Well, <laughs> no, I no. Well, you know, I work in the events in the convention industry, so you know what? Orlando is is one of those places. It's a it's a it's a, well, I don't know what's the word. It's a, a mixed blessing. It's a you know, whatever. Anyways, it's a rite right. of passage. It's well, okay, yeah, right. It's an unavoidable workplace hazard. Um, anyways, uh, also here, a new friend of ours uh, from. Uh, let's see, now I came. I, this is what I've come up with, uh, uh, Emily. Um, t- tell me if this works. From the land of legendary horse racing, bluegrass, and Jeb's favorite TV show. Welcome to the virtual hangar, Emily Heron. Hi, Emily. How are you? I'm great. Now I need to know what Jeb's favorite TV show is. As, as do I. Uh, uh, what's his name? It's the one that's got, uh, uh, 
Okay, yeah. hang on. It's, um, it takes place. You, it takes place Jack. over there in Eastern. Yeah. You started, you started and now I can't think of the name of it either. Now that you're saying it, um, you know, you know what I'm. Timid- Got Timothy Oliphant in it. That's the one, right? Ah, yeah. uh, Justified. Justified. Just, that's it. That's, yeah. that's yeah. on the other end of the state. It though. is. It is. That's yeah, but it's, it's the uh, same state. It's. Uh, it it's, is. Uh, all right. Now, Emily, I didn't. I don't know you well enough to know whether it would have been inappropriate for me to also mention bourbon whiskey. Um, oh no, not inappropriate at all. Definitely appropriate. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> See, I I I kind of always figured we were going to get along uh, just fine. <laughs> Just fine. Okay. Well, next time you're with us, I'll, I'll I'll add that in there too. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the to uh, Uncontrolled Airspace. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, we've been looking forward to it. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? What's your what What's your story? So I am a third generation pilot and aircraft owner. Um, I was literally born into aviation. My dad is a pilot. My grandfather was a pilot. And my grandfather purchased our favorite airplane in the whole world, our 1946 Piper J3 Cup. Um, He purchased that airplane in 1949. So we're, our family is the second owners of the airplane. And uh, we've had it ever since. So it's actually like next week is our 74th anniversary of our family owning the airplane. And so I grew up flying our cub. My dad grew up flying our cub. My, it, my dad was two months old at the time when my grandfather purchased it. Um, so yeah, so I grew up around uh, vintage tail draggers as um, I wish everybody could and um, have just kind of had a, a love for aviation growing up. Never thought it was going to be anything I was going to make a career out of, um, other than my grandfather, who was um, an aerial applicator, a crop duster. He flew 450 Stearmans back in the day, in the 50s and 60s. Um, But other than that, my my dad was not a professional pilot. Um, We just flew for fun, and it was something we did kind of on the weekends, hanging out with friends and going to fly-ins. And then he was an educator by trade and a, a coach, football coach. Um, so, you know, I just always thought it was something I was going to do as a hobby as well. I had a 10 year career in education and then I was asked to be on my local airport board and ended up being chairman of the airport board and found that I just absolutely kind of loved the world of public use airports and all that went into running an airport and, uh, sustaining an airport. And so then, uh, that was wonderful, but of course it was a volunteer position and, when an opportunity kind of in the next town over from where I live in Madisonville, Kentucky came open for the airport manager position, I applied and got the job in March of 2020. And here I am three years later. So I've been an airport manager now at General Aviation Airport in Western Kentucky. And so I've been there for three years and uh, have learned a lot, still have a lot to learn, but it's, it's kind of been fun being kind of immersed in aviation in a different way than I was growing up. Uh, I cool. bet. I yeah. bet. Um, cool. Now, I, I think many pilots would consider that to be, you know, one of the dream jobs, running an airport, you know, being, a, being able to spend, you know, 40 hours a week or more, I'm sure, um, at the airport. It, it, how do you feel about yeah, it? Yeah, it, it can I mean, be. You sort of alluded um, to this a minute ago, but yeah. Yeah, it, it can be. Um, it's certainly there. There are times as a pilot where you're going man, I'm spending my whole day watching other people fly and I'm not getting to fly. <laughs> so that can, that's also kind of a, you know, um, hazard of the job, I guess, is there are times that I, I wish I was able to get a little bit more flying in. 
But thankfully, if I'm uh, going to be able to fly after work, I'm right there uh, already at the airport. Don't have to come home, change clothes, drive to the airport. I'm already there. So that makes it nice. Uh, but it's, you know, it's definitely a, a different job. Um, getting to see a different side of aviation. Of course, I grew up everything from the pilot's perspective. I also grew up flying mostly on private airstrips, grass strips. So I didn't really know a whole lot about public use airports just in general. And so it's been a, a really cool learning about all of the funding and everything that goes into that. Of course, there's politics involved, which can sometimes no. be fun and sometimes be not fun. And yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, describe, your, just to give people an idea of the scope and scale of it, describe your airport for us. Sure. So we are, like I said, it's General Aviation Airport. We have about 30 based aircraft, actually, I think probably 32 now. We have a 6,050-foot runway and just one runway. Um, I also, our city runs the FBO. So I'm technically, I guess, the airport manager and the FBO manager. So we run the FBO. So we're kind of on the, not just on the facility side of things, but also on the customer service side of things. And um, we have, you know, we have a, a flight school that's run through the community college. That's kind of an up and coming thing. We are that school in and of itself, that program is growing at a pretty rapid rate, which is awesome. So our operations are are growing astronomically um, at this point. I would say we probably have right now about 10,000 operations a year. Uh, mm-hmm. which will probably grow, um, continue to grow. And so, yeah, we're we're really, you know, kind of up and coming. We're building hangars and rehabbing runways, and we're getting a new airfield lighting system this year. And wow. so got a, a lot of things going on. Uh, we're, we're in a, you know, what I would consider a rural part of Kentucky. The county that we're situated in has about 45,000 people, so it's not the most rural part of Kentucky by any means, but... Um, certainly, you know, not in any sort of large metropolis area by any stretch. But we're really kind of centrally located in a neat place um, in western Kentucky. We're, we're, you know, just over an hour away from Nashville. Indianapolis is not too far, Evansville, Indiana. And then St. Louis is not far as well, along with, of course, Louisville, Lexington. Um, so, you know, we, we've got a nice kind of central location that we're, we're – We've got our own space. We're out in rural Kentucky. It's We're planning an air show for this year, which the FAA folks at the FISDO in Louisville are like, thank you so much for planning an air show in the middle of a, a cornfield that makes it easy. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. No houses, okay. no buildings, no streets to shut down. We're just, you know, just over some corn and beans, and that's about it. Um, so, Sounds you know, great, it's, though, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, yeah. we've got a lot, you know, a lot that's close by, but also... Um, have have a lot of space to work with now the airplanes that are based there are they all piston aircraft or i mean what's the have, nature of the, yeah go ahead yeah so we have one uh turbine we have a citation two that's based there and then everything else is piston we've got one twin and then we actually have three rotocraft which they're all piston that um those are all owned by the flight school so they do mm-hmm. rotocraft and fixed wing training um mm-hmm. and then yeah everything else is mostly just single engine piston aircraft Cool. Let's well, that sounds what's great. Your, I, yeah, Jeb, go ahead. What's your fuel price? Oh, gosh, I just lowered it. Um, Ooh, that's I'm right. thinking my self-serve Avgas is 560 a gallon right okay. now. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you pump jet fuel? or? We do. Yep, we have Jet-A. We have both self-serve and full-serve, um, 100 low lead and Jet-A. Yeah, cool. 
Very cool. Well, thank you. Well, welcome to our little hangar here. And, uh, yeah. uh, um, you know, <laughs> I'll apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you I grew up around uh, pilots. I've been around it my whole life. So there's probably okay. not a lot you can say that's going to shock uh, or surprise me. It'll be all great. All right. Well, we're, we're probably going to give it our best chance. Best <laughs> Maybe not today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> What else here? Let's see now. Um, a couple of uh, podcast-specific things here. Um, so, uh, Jeb, we, we a couple episodes ago, we invited people to uh, – we decided we wanted to name our listeners. We wanted to give – as a group, we wanted in to give nice them – In a nice way. In a nice way. You know, we, we wanted to give them a kind of a fun identity that, that, that you know, they, people could say, I'm a – you know, I mean, they, you know – I don't know what they call themselves now, but uh, but we decided we were going to try and give them a name, um, and uh, and and a lot of listeners have come up with some really interesting ideas. Um, and uh, just to, I'm not going to read every single one of them, but a few of the highlights here. Um, David T suggested that that we call the listeners flibs, which I think is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mike R said that uh, we should, he he was playing off the peanut gallery thing that we were talking about. He was said called them the P Factor Gallery. Um, Jonathan H said, "Call them the Super Raiders." That's a callback to the days when we used to stay at the Super Eight at Oshkosh when we were when we were visiting there. Um, he also suggested that we might call the listeners the Higdonians, which I think is kind of sweet. Um, a little bit of a mouthful, but uh, Higdonian Higdon is the Emily is the name of our former part, our, our late partner um, mm. in this podcast, Dave Higdon. So that would be kind of an, a nice little memorial to him, but it's kind of a mouthful. Um, Will H had a bunch of interesting suggestions he called called he said call them more weight less balance which <laughs> i kind of like that one um he also in, suggested in, yeah in, in, continuing with that theme just call them self-loading freight yeah well and that that's one of them i didn't highlight yeah, okay, that one okay oh, there it is self-loading cargo is one of yeah, the, his yeah. suggestions as well but but will h suggested what i think might be the ultimate winner here i'm not i don't yeah. know if we're we're prepared to to declare a winner just yet but he made a suggestion that just when i saw it, it, it actually harkens back to the days when we were naming this podcast. Jeb, I don't know if you remember, but we went through a bajillion possible podcast names, all right? And we just struggled trying to come up with a name, and and nothing was really jumping out at us. And then we finally said, we've got to pick one of these. And so we were on the verge of announcing a particular one when suddenly a name, the name Uncontrolled Airspace just jumped out at us. And we said, oh, no, that's what we should call it, yeah. all right? And I think this is the same thing. I'm looking at all these names. I'm thinking of my own ideas. I'm reading all these listener ideas. And then someone suggested, or actually Will H suggested that we call the listeners the Wayward Aviators, all right, which I personally like a lot. Um, and uh, Emily, the history to that is that for years now, um, many of us uh, would go down to visit Jeb at his home down in Florida, and we jokingly would refer to Jeb's home as the Hidden River Home for Wayward Aviators. Um, <laughs> there you and, go. Uh, and so calling the listeners the Wayward Aviators has a lot of appeal to me. So, yeah. uh, I don't know, Jeb, what's your thought on these? Any of these jump- My only thought is y'all don't come here at once, all at the same time. Just don't what? do that. <laughs> you know, I think, all right, if you say so. We, so you, just don't, you just don't want to know in advance is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's not what you're saying. Okay. So anyways, um, I guess we'll kind of leave this open a little bit longer, but if anybody has some more suggestions on what we might call our listeners, um, I suspect that there there may be T-shirts and mugs involved, ultimately, Ooh, uh, once we well kind of boil be. this down. Yeah. So yes. uh, um, what what should we call, in a loving but perhaps a little bit fun way, what should we call the listeners of Uncontrolled Airspace? Um, and so... Uh, 
we'll come back to that next time. What else do I have here? Oh, and then so a couple of uh, um, things about about Air, Ven- Air Ventures coming up. Oshkosh is coming up. And uh, Emily, do you make? Yeah, you obviously make. You've made it to Oshkosh in the past. That's yes. how we sort of know you indirectly. You planning to yep. go this year? Absolutely. Excellent, excellent. Yep. Um, well, mark Thursday evening on your calendar because that's when we hold our legendary uh, uncontrolled airspace um, listener party on, okay. on Thursday evening. Um, and and I'm I want to be clear about this. Um, uh, yell at me. This is all my fault. All right. Um, up to about a month ago, we had been saying that we thought the tie down party this year was going to move to Tuesday. All right. And mm. at the time, that seemed like a good idea. All right. But things have changed, um, and uh, it's it, we thought we had to move it away from thursday we thought tuesday was a good alternative but then suddenly things shifted around um and we were able to go back to thursday so we are going back to thursday uh, this is very nearly a f- you know i mean it's official and I-, I can't imagine it changing now we're going to do the tie down party on thursday during oshkosh week um we don't exactly know where just yet I- i'm betting i would put money on the fact that we're going to go back to the location there at the outside the uh, super eight gate there um on the uh, north west corner of the field where we've been holding the party for years um but but stay tuned for for the official word on where it's located but thursday evening from about 6 p.m until you know the last person can't stand any longer i guess or something like that um that's when the we all get hungry and go somewhere else that's when the tie-down party is going to be um if you're planning on attending um oshkosh this year a couple of uh, a couple of more uh, somber um sad ish things bittersweet things um the you folks um jeb and i actually other than donating some money ourselves jeb and i had nothing to do with this um some friends of dave higdon arranged for there to be both a, a, a and great Gravestone for him at the Brown Arch at Oshkosh, which will be revealed um, this Oshkosh week. And also, um, D- uh, I believe Dave's name is going to be added to one of the bronze plaques at the uh, at the memory wall. I think it's got a name. I forget what the actual name is. But there's a there's a, 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 a sort of Hall of Fame wall out near the chapel at the edge of Pioneer Field there at Oshkosh. And uh, there will actually be um, there's a there's a, a annual um, ceremony on Sunday morning there at the wall at the chapel, um, remembering um, EA members who have passed in the, in the previous year, and Dave will be remembered there. So uh, Jeb and I will be there, and, and everyone's invited to come by for that. That's on Sunday morning. Um, so uh, there will be uh, some some opportunities for us to pay our respects and to remember our, our lost friend. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, we hope we see you all for lots of different reasons, and that's one of them. What else here? Uh, the the the, the notum is out, although it's not called the notum anymore. The the uh, Oshkosh notum. Um, it's now called the Air Venture Procedures Notice, um, and uh, you can you can get it online. And uh, I don't even can you Jeb? Are you been following this? Can you order a physical copy anymore? I I don't know how that works anymore. Um, hang on a second, I'll yeah, Let's see if it says something about that. Um, Request a paper copy. Here we go. You can. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, regardless of whether you do it electronically, our, this has been our mantra for 15 years now. Read the notum. If you're planning to fly into Oshkosh, make sure you read the notum. Make sure you have the notum available to you in the cockpit as you're arriving. Um, the procedures are, are are very carefully thought out, and if you follow them correctly, it's a perfectly safe arrangement. So read the notum. Um, and it's out, and it's on the EA website at this time, and, and you can order it. 
finally, and uh, this is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know whether this is a good thing or a, or a silly thing, but uh, EAA is going to uh, brand uh, uh, their own branded beer is going to be introduced um, at AirVenture this year. Uh, let's see now, what's it called? It's got uh, where did it go here? I uh, got it someplace here. <clears throat> There it is right there. EAA to introduce 70th anniversary beer at AirVenture 2023. Um, 70th anniversary refers to this is the 7th anniversary of the fly-in, I believe. Um, pilots and, where am I reading from? General Aviation News web story. Pilots and aviation enthusiasts attending EAA AirVenture Oshkosh 23 can get a taste of the Experimental Aircraft Association's 70th anniversary as EAA partners with Stone Arch Brew Pub of Appleton, Wisconsin to produce a special commemorative beer. So uh, that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, that is interesting. I hope the beer is good. I think yeah. they're. I've I've seen that they've been kind of um, putting out the different cans and stuff, and it looks like they're doing, you know, different. I don't know if it's different beer flavors or if it's just different cans. But like, there's going to be one like a Warbird one and a Vintage one, and you know, so I think it's kind of keeping in tradition with the uh-huh. the different locations, you know, like a home built and whatnot, ah, okay. with all yep. the different areas at. AirVenture, so. Very interesting. Yeah, actually, as I scroll around the story, they show two sample cans. One has a Warbur, has a P-51 on it, and one has the brown arch that is on the can. It's blue, but it's the brown arch. Um, And both of those beers are the same beer. They're both Kolsch-style ale. But, uh, yeah, so, anyways. Again, according to the story, Kolsch beer classifies as a, quote, pale, bitter, European beer, unquote, uh, with a German uh, origin. Okay. So that's, sure, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's so to speak. Can't hurt um, to try. Yeah, yeah, I know, right. Yeah, yeah like, we're going to spend the week at Oshkosh, and, 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 and Sunday will arrive, and we'll, oh, I forgot to have a beer. I forgot to have a beer. Man, why didn't you man, remind oh, me? I hate it when that happens. Yeah, okay. Uh, so... There we go. Oshkosh is coming. Getting excited. Uh, this is, uh, um, I, I missed last year. I was there the year before. Jeb, you haven't been back since before the pandemic, have you? I have not. That's right. So I'm um, yeah, with great apparently. anticipation and trepidation in my return. I know. Uh, huh? It's yeah, like, uh, yeah. it's like a, a, you know, fall back into bad habits or something like that, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> Moi? Moi? <laughs> Me? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. All right, uh, what's going on in aviation here? Uh, President Biden has nominated uh, former Florida Governor Christ to do something. Jeb, you don't seem to be very happy with this. What's going on? It's it's a. I know people have known people who are in the position before. This is the ambassador to ICAO. Okay, ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, which is, I think, chartered by the United Nations, um, and ICAO is. Um, I, want to, I don't want to use the word governing, but it's the uniting uh, body uh, uh, for aviation um, regulatory authorities around the world. Uh, and you'll often see, well, we've seen <clears throat> influence of ICAO in many different ways. We're all filing ICAO flight plans now instead of the old FAA flight plans that I used to have memorized and used to get little rulers from AOPA that had the flight plan sequence on it. 
Yeah. Uh, now nowadays, of course, you have to have two of those rulers because the, there's more ICAO, more stuff to fill out on the ICAO flight plan. But anyway, um, there the Biden administration is apparently um, uh, planning to nominate or going to nominate uh, former uh, Florida Governor Charlie Crist to that spot, uh, which okay. Um, Christ isn't all that popular in Florida, uh, hasn't been, so maybe they're just trying to get him out before he gets, you know, I don't know, taken to the cleaners or something, I don't know. But anyway, he needs uh, a job, just, apparently, right? Yeah. Say again? He needs I, a job. I, he needs a job. He ran, for, he ran for governor trying to replace DeSantis, and that uh, went down in flames. Yeah. Uh, which we everyone in the state knew was going to happen as soon as he was nominated, but that's a whole other topic. Right. Um, what is his aviation background? I, I, I don't know. You tell me. Apparently none I, is what you're hinting at here. I, I, I'm kind of thinking that's true. All right. So I don't know what, what's going on. I mean, is this uh, a real working position? Uh, Emily, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, this um, my only thing is with, with any type of, you know, um, elected official, especially when it comes to the White House, I feel like a lot of the times the nominees for any given um, whether it's the secretary of education or whatever it is, like a lot of times they don't have any background in that right. specific. It's just, I've got this list of people that I've got to give a favor to for whatever reason. And so I'm going to put them in that role. And yeah. it, it it's unfortunate for, you know, a, a lot of times, hopefully all we can do is hope and pray that that person is someone who will actually listen to experts in that field and not, you know, just make decisions for purely political reasons, but you never know. Um, so, you know, that's, I think that's just one of the, the side effects of things being run by, um, by government, like whether it's the FAA, the mm-hmm. ICAO, you know, the department of education, the department of transportation, the department of whatever it is. Um, they're all, you know, a lot of times people that get put into these, whether it's an ambassador or a director or whatever role that, really maybe don't have, you know, the skill set or the experience to actually do the job. So, mm-hmm. and, and exactly I think right. especially coming off of the heels of someone like Sully in that role, who obviously right. we right. all know, you know, was a, a career aviator. Um, I think that's probably seen just such a stark contrast between his background and now, you know, former governor Christ. So I think that's spot on. Um, you can, you can lead the horse to water. You can't make it drink. Um, and uh, Chris obviously isn't all that popular down in Florida because you know he lost to Ron DeSantis. Right. <clears throat> but uh, um, I mean, he again, lost. He lost by a lot to DeSantis. He lost but, by a but lot he did, to Ron. But DeSantis. he got what thirty five, forty percent of the vote, though, right? So there are people there. Are, there is which I mean, meant that there was a thirty to thirty-five percent gap between yeah, his no, I, votes I, and DeSantis's votes, which ain't all that good in a you know supposedly I, a swing state. Which yeah, no, I get. It. I mean, it's it's obviously not enough to to get elected governor, but it means that there are, there are forty percent of a big state's population likes you. All right. So, well, so he's also know. switched parties because when he was governor, yeah. he was actually a Republican, and then yeah, I think right. he went to independent and then switched to Democrat several years ago and then you know became the democratic nominee yeah so So, anyways all right well clearly i'm not going to convince you guys that he's 
that he's something yeah. he's not. Um, this ju- this position, though, here's my question about the position: this International Aviation Post. This uh-huh. um, is it is it like a work? So so Emily makes a very good point that sometimes these people get put in these spots for political kind of reward reasons, um, and sometimes that's okay because it's just kind of a ceremonial position, and sometimes it's not okay or it's less okay because it's it's a working position that needs to accomplish things. Is this position, you know, is this, so is this position more like the prime minister or more like the queen? <laughs> that joke would have made a lot more sense six yeah, months that, ago. Yeah, the, yeah. the king, all right, all right. Um, is, is this a ceremonial position or a real working position? Is it, it it's, bad? Both. It, yeah. it's both is the quick answer. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I, I think Emily correctly points out he's going to have staff to who know what's going on and know where the men's room is and things like that. Um. But it, it won't be. I, I'm. Tr- I can't. Hang on a second. I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a long list of of people. Um, let's see. And there's another page here. All right, we can look up. I know two names on here already. Ed Stimson, who used to be. Uh, president of the General Aviation Manufacturers Association mm-hmm. and of course uh, Sully Sullenberger, the, the uh, captain on that uh, uh, U.S. Airways uh, Airbus that ditched in the Hudson River yep. back in yep. uh, 2008 I believe it was Yeah. Um, uh, a few other names here I recognize but don't have, don't know the backgrounds on um, so I mean yeah there's, there's, there's a long history A in that position which uh, first uh, uh, became available in, in September of 1947. Um, or, uh, still yeah. not as old as Emily's airplane, though. But okay. still not as old as Emily's airplane. <laughs> we um, should nominate my cub for that position. We should nominate your cub. It would probably do as well. Uh, oh, what a straight line! Okay, uh, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, all right, come all back right. anytime, Emily. Come back Ooh, anytime. Moving on, moving on, moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Um, Where I live here in New Hampshire, um, right down the road from uh, former uh, U.S. Air Force um, Air Base. uh, um, And, uh, Jeb, you landed there when you came to visit here. Uh, Uh That uh, that wasn't last fall. That was the fall before, right? Fall of... Yeah. So you landed there. Um, Pease. Pease. Pease Jetport, I think they call it now, or um, whatever. Um, and although it's no longer a full-blown um, um, Air Force base, um, it does have an Air Air Force uh, Reserve Unit base there um, that does uh, specializes in aerial refueling. The other thing is notable about it, though, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast, is that it has one of the longest runways um, around. It certainly is the longest runway that doesn't have scheduled airliners flying off of it, so it's a, it's sort of more available. And as a result, it Gets, I think it was actually one of the shuttle alternates back in the day. Um, it's, it's that long of an air, of a runway. Um, and uh, as a result, it gets used fairly often for military training of large aircraft. It's not at all unusual. I've talked about this before, to see um, things like C-5s um, flying big patterns um, in the area. It's kind of cool. Um, and... Uh, it was in the news about a week or so ago that there was going to be a particular uh, training exercise that was going to happen based at Pease or come through Pease or whatever that was going to involve a lot of takeoffs and landings. And, yep, there have been. Um, uh, over the last few days, a um, couple times a day, I hear a lot of what what I sounds like fighter jet um, traffic to me. Um, 
And I was actually out walking uh, on my walk the other day when um, I heard the fighter jets, and I was in a position to see the sky over the uh, over the uh, um, departure area. And I saw I saw a fighter, um, which which is the one that has the wings that sweep. Is that the F fifteen? I should know this. But fourteen have been have been. uh, Well, that's not uh, Air Force. No, it's not uh, I'm not sure, but it was. FB 111 is the only well, other. No, one no. We, yeah, but are FB 111 still in service? That's what I'm saying. I don't. I don't know that they are. They may yeah, be. I, I, it only as like a standoff electronic warfare or something yeah, like that. Right. As a matter of fact, that was the that was the primary aircraft that was based at Pease back when it was SAC base back before it closed a long, long time ago. One elevens. Uh, was 111s, yeah, huh. um, but that, that's I'm pretty sure that's not what this was. I'm thinking it was the it was the it's the first Tom it's the first uh, Top Gun Tom Cruise movie airplane there. Well, that that's an F-14 then. 14. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Well, I thought they'd that's all been typically the name. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly looked like it had the wings swept back into that sort of delta shape. But anyways, they were way away. Here's the point of my story. So I saw this fighter plane taking off, making a good good fighter. Uh, plane jet noise and then suddenly i saw a second one all right they weren't really in close trail they were kind of taking off fairly spread out and so the second one comes out climbs out all right and then a third one climbs out and then finally a fourth one climbs out and i thought that was interesting okay clearly not clearly but probably these aircraft were together and that they were going to form up into a flight once they you know kind of got out of the area and go wherever they were going to do whatever they were going to do um and that got me to thinking about so I, I was watching for a while after the fourth airplane, wondering if there would be a fifth and a sixth. And I'm, and I'm standing there speculating to myself that four is a magic number when it comes to flights of aircraft, maybe military aircraft. And that's my question to you guys. Do you know, is four some sort of magic number in terms of, of you know, like the, the, the sweet spot for you want a bunch of airplanes to get to someplace together, but six would be too many or... Do you guys know anything about I, this? I, I I have no knowledge. Uh, there's no four aircraft uh, in a gaggle or, or a, you know whatever a flight. There's no magic number no, uh, to okay. my knowledge. You know, yeah. this could be a, a long you know a ferry flight to Europe. They're going to meet up with a tanker. Uh, could be uh, a two-on-two training exercise. Uh, could be a just formation flying. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, ahead, I grew up. I grew up right next to Eglin Air Force Base up in the northwest part of Florida, uh, and okay. um, so we F-15s were a common uh, thing in the sky around our area. And so we, you know, typically you there would be two of them kind of together. So four is mm-hmm. not surprising because, like you said, it's kind of if, if they were doing some sort of training exercise, it could be you know two sets of two. Um, I don't feel like you see odd numbers very often, like three. Right. That would be probably yep. odd. That makes sense. Sure. Two and four yeah. makes sense uh, to me. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was just wondering whether four was a magic number in terms of, like I said, a sweet spot for it's like enough to, you know, enough to, you know, get a significant number of airplanes where they want to go, but not too many for it to be unsafe. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, Maybe. it was in, yeah. I was, uh, I posted, well, I don't know if I posted them. 
I, I, I think I know. I, my, my sister of all person people, my sister who's not an aviation person, she's not a pilot, she has no, says expressed no interest, um, but I discovered recently that she loves watching airplanes land, all right? Um, and uh, um, she, you know, I've suddenly realized that she knows the spots where you can go to Pease or to Manchester Airport and stand right under uh, short final, uh, not under, nice. next to short final. And she loves to watch. So anyways, I was on another one of my walks, um, um, uh, at a park that's right underneath sort of mid like three mile final from Pease and I'm, I'm, I'm walking through these, this, this uh, um, con, you know uh, retired farmland and I hear an airplane in the sky and I look up alright and it's one of these C5s um, and and it's relatively low at this point, um, and so I'm just admiring it. I, I'll th- I thought at the last moment to whip out my camera, and uh, oh, I, you know what? That's right. I did post it. I put it on. I put it on YouTube. Um, I'll have to give people a pointer to that. Um, so the uh, C5 makes an, a dramatic pass right overhead on its way into land, and then I'm continuing my walk. And as I'm continuing my walk, it suddenly dawned on me. I said, you know, a lot of times these guys are working a pattern, all right, and he'll go around and he'll make another approach, and I suddenly realized I got to look for this and just as i started to look for it he came around again and i'm going oh yeah great so i took more video and uh and then i waited and waited and waited and he came around again and so i got got to see three passes of this uh and the the sun was at exactly the right spot and it was just beautiful um this c5 doing pattern practice at uh, at uh, peace so uh How, how long do you estimate it took for them to make the lap around the pattern uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I could probably even tell you here. Hang on. That, I want to know the answer to that time myself stamps, yeah. I can look at the timestamps on those videos here. Oh, maybe maybe now's not the right time. Well, no, yeah, maybe not. But now you but, got me thinking about it. I'm going to give me, give me 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're flying a wide pattern. I mean, wider than you would fly yeah. on 152, shall we say. Here it That's is what right I was here. thinking. I think it'll be interesting to see how long oh, yeah. did it take the C5 to do that pattern, and then how long know, would huh? it take a 172 to do that same pattern? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> or a Cub. So, or a Cub, what, yes. Yeah. So here we go. Here's the first one is 3.10 p.m. And then the next one is 326 but don't that's not one i think i missed one in the middle yeah. um mm-hmm. so um what is this picture right here this is yeah i know so i've got three somebody's gonna have to do the math for me here three what did i say Three ten p.m and then two cycles later would be 326 so what's that so 16 set, minutes. So we'd say yeah. every eight minutes or so. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then pass you... number four was three. No, hang on. Pass number four was 331. So, uh, so that's only like five minutes. Eight or, yeah, it, not very long. It is a big, I mean, if you kind of pay attention, if you're able in a position to watch, you know, it's, it's a big pattern, but, but it's a pattern. And, uh, you yeah. know, I, I was in, I think it was the fourth, the third and fourth of these times around, I was in a position to see it turn um, downwind to base to final. Um, and uh, Dave would have liked it because it did a great big uh, continuous turn to final. Um, and uh, it didn't do a square pattern, uh, which I really, right. that would be kind of cool to see a C5 do a square pattern, but probably, they, I don't know if, they, if that makes sense, but uh, they, uh, it actually did kind of level out a little bit, as I recall, um, but it mostly just made a continuous turn around to, to final. And uh, um, let's see now, um, I'm going to do one, I'm going to look for one more thing and then we'll move on here. I want to find, 
while you're doing it, I'm just wondering with a, a pattern that wide and that lengthy in to- of time, um, there's a lot of things you know the crew can do while they're you know, they can switch seats, <laughs> they can they can do all kinds of stuff if they got that kind of time. Um, wouldn't necessarily do that in 172. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here it is right here. So if I do this, and then then I copy the link, and then I go over here to Riverside into chat, chat, and then I paste. Okay. Oops, wait a minute. Paste. There, there's a link to uh, the video. You guys can take a look if you want. Um, pretty cool it is it was cool and 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 as as big as it sort of looks in the video it looked way bigger to the naked eye oh i'm sure it was it was very impressive i was i was literally going back and i didn't want to just watch it in the viewfinder of my phone so i kind of kept glancing back and forth to look at it with my bare eyes um while i was shooting the video anyways all right so that's enough of that let's get back to business here where where did i leave off here uh over here we talked about four fighters um so this is an interesting story um a sad story ultimately um but also a pretty interesting story this is about the private jet that um um overflew washington and uh, mm-hmm. caused the uh, military to scramble and sonic booms and ultimately the private jet um, um crashed um I, I assume you guys have seen this story you're not familiar with what i'm talking oh, yeah. about right yeah. yes yeah. um I, it's too, really too early, you know, and we try not to speculate too much about this, but everybody's speculating. Um, and I, I, maybe speculating isn't what's, what even... Yeah, let's, let's clarify a few things. But here's, you know, we're, not, we're not speculating. Yeah, but what are the, the, there are interesting questions here. This is like a puzzler. Um, you know. So this, this aircraft apparently was planning, by all accounts, it was planning, it was intended to fly from an airport in Tennessee to an airport in... Um, Long Island, New York. Long Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and that it did in fact fly from Tennessee to Long Island. All right, to basically to the airport where it was going to land. All right, and then suddenly it kind of did a one eighty. All right, and almost backtracked, um, reaching Virginia before it ran, presumably ran out of fuel and crashed. Um, it's just like a puzzler. What the heck? I mean, uh, you guys have any thoughts is on it this? Really, is it really all that puzzling? Okay, you what, tell me what. Yeah, the pressurization system failed in it some fashion. Certainly looks like that. Um, my question, though, is so apparently it. it I, I, one of the reports I read talked about it was at like thirty-four thousand feet. It was very mm-hmm. high, and it never descended. All right, it, mm-hmm. it reached the it re, the reached the area of its destination airport. Um, did this 180 as if it was starting to line up for the runway, but never descended, all right? And then suddenly just kind of continued back south, um, coincidentally overflying Washington, D.C. I'm trying to imagine how, what, what I, I don't, I never fly, I've never flown um, autopilots, so I don't know how these things work. Right. Is there some but, setting in an autopilot that's like, you know, it's like go home? You know, I mean, where <laughs> if all else fails, it's going to try and return to where it started? I don't know. How does that work? No, I think so. Just from my very, very, very limited experience flying a 172 that has an autopilot, yeah. Like it, it, the, and I'm, I'm sure it's different on, you know, citations and corporate aircraft. So I'm by no means saying this is how it is on everything, 
but I think, you know, the, when you punch in your, you know, whether it's your waypoints or your, your route, you know, into your autopilot, your, you know, your flight plan, then it's got your coordinates. So it's going to do all of your turns, but I don't know that it necessarily does all of your descents and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because of the fact that most of the time, and like, I feel like I even know this just from like watching some people who fly corporate jets on YouTube or whatever, like typically you fly altitude and if you're getting vectors or whatever it is, ATC is telling you, you know, okay, climb to, you know, you know, you're, you can climb to 20,000 or whatever now, but a lot of times they tell you to go to different altitudes at different times based on the needs. And so you don't necessarily have it punched in that you're going to a specific altitude. Once you've got it at an altitude, then once you're cleared, to descend, then you physically turn the knob and tell it, okay, now we're going to go down to 10,000 feet and I want you to go down at this rate of descent. So sure. you okay. you have to punch in those buttons and knobs and tell it what to do. Otherwise, it's just going to do the turns, but it's not going to change altitudes unless you make those inputs. So that's okay. just from what I, when I see what happened to me, it looks like Obviously, whatever incident, whether it was cabin pressurization, hypoxia, whatever happened, I would say happened before, you know, he got they got to Long Island. And then the plane made the turn as if it's lining up for the ILS or lining up for the whatever, you know, approach on the runway. But because there were never any inputs made on the altitude, it never changed altitude. And then just, I mean, you can tell it for sure when it made that turn, it flew in a straight line. Yeah. Like it didn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, it flew kind of south, but it was going all over the place. Like it was going in pretty much a straight line. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that has to be, you know, kind of what happened from that perspective. Now, as far as what happened to the pilot, what happened, if it was something in the whole cabin, if it was the pilot had a medical event, I have no idea. But, you know, obviously no one else made any distress calls or anything. So yeah. you, you just don't know. But Yeah, yeah. Now, someone was telling me, maybe it was you, Jeb, was telling me that that airplane by default is requires two pilots. I, it was not me telling you that. <clears throat> someone me. Um, thought, but I thought it, someone it, said it, that to me. Yeah, it, it originally was built for two pilots. But, okay. Um, yeah, you have to have a waiver to do yeah, exactly. single pilot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You do. Okay. All right. And the reports are, and again, we don't know for sure yet, but the reports seem pretty pretty clear, um, pretty unambiguous, I guess would be the word, um, that there was only one pilot on board. Um, yeah. Um, and there were Which I reports. think is... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think that's pretty common for that type of scenario where it's, you know, I mean, it's a Part 91 flight. It's a, right. you know, the company owned the aircraft and paid right. the pilot. I mean, I've, I've got those that come in and out of my airport all the time and very common to see single pilot in that scenario. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting thing. Um, apparently the aircraft was pretty completely destroyed, so it's not sure, not clear if there's going to be enough evidence to make a definitive answer to what happened here. But, uh, uh, yeah, very sad. Very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, e- e- Emily's just a young, and you probably don't remember the Payne Stewart incident. Um, I don't. St- I don't remember it, but I feel like I I 
feel like I should now because th- that's all everyone's been talking about for the past week. Yeah. And so yeah. I, even yeah. though I don't remember it, I've, I've heard it recounted several times yeah. recently. This is, yeah, this is a Payne Stewart was a uh, professional golfer and mm-hmm. uh, had his own private jet that he used to travel between, between uh, uh, competitions and on a flight from someplace to someplace, I forget exactly where Florida ish to Texas ish, I think, or something like that. Um, Apparently, it's pretty. People pretty much agree that he they suffered a sort of a sudden decompression of the aircraft, so sudden that it incapacitated everybody on board, um, and um, and because the aircraft was at altitude on uh, on autopilot, it just kept flying in a straight line until it ran out of gas, um, and and because Payne Stewart was such something, even to non golfers, he was somewhat recognizable, um, and so it was a pretty pretty you know um, widely reported story back at the time. Um, and that was the first thing that popped into my mind the moment I heard this story. I thought, you know, um, so anyways, this is um, basically a repeat. Um, it, well, well, yeah, well, it, it sounds that way, doesn't it? Yeah. So uh, time will tell, and they'll tell us what they think when the time comes. But uh, um, our condolences to the family and, uh, and uh, families uh, involved. Uh, very sad. And hopefully, if nothing else, we'll learn something from this so that we can be a little safer in the future. Uh, we're sort of starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. It's too bad too because I really I should have been I should have put this one earlier on the list because this was good. Um, Emily, by the way, um, uh, you're a newbie. You're new here, so uh, you haven't been, but you have to declare yourself. Uh, well, actually, I think I know. Oh, come on! I know the answer Ooh. to this question, Jeb. Oh, what do you man. think? You, you I, know I'm what? I'm sure she's a high wing. Uh, she's a high wing person. Yeah, high, <laughs> wing, high wing or low wing, Emily? High wing or low wing? It, honestly, it depends. Now, I obviously oh, with my cub, I know okay. I'm going to be that person. No, 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 um, no. A more, I'm a, a more enlightened I'm a high, perspective. I'm a high wing tail dragger, um, for sure. But um, I, I, honestly, I, I fly 172s, but I also fly pipers. You know, and I, I mean, it just depends on what what your goal is as to which one makes more sense to me. I'm not a, okay. I'm not firm on one side or the other. Other than um, my cup, so I'm a high wing piper girl. So I'm like a little above, right? Okay, all right, (laughs) a high wing piper girl. All right, okay, (laughs) that could be the episode title right there. Uh, um, Let's see now. All right, so there's, but so now the thing that prompted this um, is that there was a a somebody I don't know who I guess Avweb posted a poll where they said if you had your choice of a new or old airplane, would it be center stick yoke? side stick or side controller i'm not sure if that's the most definitive list of 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 input devices but let's just go with it all right um all of the things being equal what would be your preference for flying an airplane center stick yoke side stick and i take side stick to mean like we've all seen airplanes that have side-by-side seating and there's a single stick in the in between the pilots, but it's other than other than that, it's a regular. It's kind of a a, a control stick. I like was, you see, yeah. Go I ahead. was so thinking it was like, is it is it diamonds that have a stick like to Cirrus. your left, or is it a Cirrus? Cirrus. Cirrus. Cirrus has, has a stick on the left if you're in the okay. left seat. And on but the I would right call that the, the right side seat. controller. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what the, okay. That's what it's being. That's what it's being called here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Gotcha. So, gotcha. So if you could, if you, if you were to redo your cub, hmm. Emily, which mm-hmm. of these would it have? Oh, it would center stick all the way. It was sent, all right. Okay. Jeb. That's what I learned to, on. So. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, Jeb, if you were going to... I don't know how to ask this question. If you were going to redo the debonair, which would it be? 
I wouldn't touch the yolk. But uh, my answer is similar to Emily's answer about which wing, uh, high or low, is preferable. Um, Yeah. It it depends on what... The airplane. Purpose. Yeah, it depends on the airplane, but it depends on the purpose the airplane is going to be used for. Uh, You don't want... You know, although there are aerobatic uh, airplanes with yokes, um, uh, yeah. Let's talk. Stick. Let's let's ask Bob Hoover how he feels about that. Well, okay. ex- I, that's what, kind of my point. Um, um, just because Bob the Hoover airplane had very cool stuff, he, he did some yoke. very cool stuff flying an airplane with a yoke in it, yeah. and I totally grok that. I totally acknowledge that. Um, there's a lot of aerobatic airplanes with yokes. Um, there's a lot more of them with center sticks. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, and you can, okay. I feel like you could only do so much with a yoke. Like Bob Hoover can't do the same thing that Patty Wagstaff can do in her extra. True, true. So there's going to be the limitations. Same, he can do the same thing, but not in the same way. Not with right. the same right. um, emotions. Uh, right. Muscle movement. Yeah, you yeah. can't jerk it and, you know. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can't get the roll rate out of a Shrike Commander. Yeah. Uh, that you that you can with an extra three hundred. I don't know so. if I can sit here and stand for you guys talking about Bob Hoover this way. All right, okay. Um, well, that's no um, disrespect no, to Bob Hoover whatsoever. No, of course it's not. Bob right, Hoover, okay. like not not hardly anybody else could do what Bob Hoover did with the airplane that he had. That's, so all hundred percent yeah. respect to Bob Hoover and, and what he did. But yeah, there's okay. regardless of how good of a pilot you are, there's going to be limitations with what you're working right. with. So okay, um, just to complete this, uh, I'm I'm so I'm the vast majority of my time flying is a yoke equipped aircraft and uh i've got a little bit of time with a center stick um and i and maybe it's because i was just didn't give it enough time to get comfortable but i found the i always thought the center stick would be so natural and so just you know the way god meant us to fly kind of thing um and i it took me by surprise that i found it very very in in uh uh, confusing a very very uh unnatural um, part of it was that um, the aircraft, I always say, it was Citabria. Um, and in the Citabria, I, so I, I suddenly realized that I naturally fly with my left hand is the dominant hand on the yoke. All right. Correct. And suddenly I'm in an airplane where I need to use my right hand to control the mm-hmm. stick because the throttle's in my left hand. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found, and I'm convinced that it's sort of a left brain, right brain thing. All right, it's basically mm. that my my right hand was not as good at controlling an airplane. All right, as my left hand was. Although I also found it interesting in that um, I had a harder time remembering where the sort of center. I'm making finger quotes. Center was for the stick positioning. All right, um, and and to put in. Like to put in roll inputs without also changing pitch was very difficult for me, um, and I, I would imagine that if you with experience you get better at that. But uh, that's uh, so. Um, I, I just kind of always said oh, I feel more comfortable with a yoke equipped aircraft. So that would be my answer. And I think that goes back to what you learned on a lot of times as to mm-hmm. what makes more yeah. sense to you. Like what's the most natural to you? Because I'm the total exact opposite of you. And that's because I learned on a cub with a center yeah. stick. I didn't yeah. fly an airplane with a yoke until I had, well, that's not true. I flew a 140 for a little bit during, to do my instrument training during my private pilot training, but everything, all of my other hours up to like 75 hours were in my cub for the most part. And, and so f- a, a stick makes sense to me, stick in the right hand, throttle yeah. in the left hand. When I went to a 172 
and had to hold the yoke with my left hand and, you know, manage the throttle or the flaps with my right hand, that totally threw me off because that was totally opposite of what I was used to. Yeah. Did you find the yoke disconcerting at first when you first flew with it? Um, I, gosh, I don't hardly remember. I don't know about disconcerting, just different. Just everything yeah. was unnatural. It felt like everything I was used to, I had to go the opposite. Like I was used to heel brakes and toes on the rudder pedals. And then I had yeah. to switch that, you know, cause uh-huh. yeah, yeah. most <laughs> other airplanes have toe brakes. So yeah. I was, you know, I'm taxiing around constantly riding the brakes and my instructor's like, you know, get your, get your toes off the brakes. Like you got to slide your feet down. I'm like, well, that's where the brakes are in my brain. So it's just, you know, backwards, everything's that's backwards. Interesting. Yeah, so it was, interesting. it was a learning curve, but you know, yeah. now it's, it's normal now when I get in, you know, 172 or something, it's so. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Um, do you have any yoke stick stories for you, or we can no, well, I, I have a story, but yeah, you probably. Oh, uh, wait a minute now. All right, can you tell it in polite company, or uh, yeah, yeah, I had. I, <laughs> then go ahead. I, I was giving some demo rides. Uh, this was uh, out of Dallas back in, I guess, the nineties, uh, and uh, uh, trying to revive a, an old flying club and uh, whatnot, and we had fi- invited some people out. Uh, to just you know, take some fam rides, and uh, I brought a 172 and um, filled all the seats, um, and I was in the right seat for the whole time, letting the the, the uh, uh, demonstrates uh, fly the airplane. Obviously, I did the takeoffs and landings, but not let them you know do do the rest of the stuff, and. Um, was coming back into land uh, at Dallas after a, a round robin around the local area. And this is, again, Dallas at the time was still practice approach capital in the world. It still didn't have uh, much traffic. And, and what it did have, we just used one runway to begin with. So it wasn't that big a deal. So we come into land. It's a, gotten a little bit gusty here all of a sudden. And I'm in the right seat. I've got my left hand on the throttle and my right hand on the yoke. And we get into the flare, and mm-hmm. the wind just falls out. There's, it's gone. There's mm-hmm. no wind. Okay. So naturally, as uh-huh. I would do in the left seat of the Skyhawk, I pushed um, my right hand forward to yes. add power yep. and pulled back with my left hand. Mm, that, that could get really interesting. <laughs> Let's think about that one for a second. No and so, but no, I was in the right seat. <laughs> And so I pushed the nose down and retarded the power, which is the exact opposite of what you want to do. Well, there you go. Uh, and I caught my error immediately and um, uh, and corrected. Um, it was a firm landing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. But uh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's yeah. my left seat, left seat, right seat. Uh, yeah. Story. Okay, and that's, well, that's something we all of us should kind of sort of be aware of. Uh, it's, when it's we're transitioning line. between different yeah. planes. I mean, none of the three of us are CFIs. I don't believe you're not CFI, right, Emily? No. Nope. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but my, my understanding is that a big part or, or a significant part of the CFI transition training is to learn how to fly from the right seat. From the right it's, seat. It's, it's correct. It's, it's yep. not a no-brainer. Um, it's, uh, it's, it is not a no-brainer. I've, yeah. I've, I went through a CFI training program, and uh, yeah. oh, yeah, it's, it takes a while, and What's even odder is going out to practice right seat. Going out just to practice flying from the right seat. Yep. Is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, many years ago, Steve Tupper tried to uh, he, he he popular on Twitter or some social media. He pop he was he was saying, you know, you're a pilot if all right. And he was inviting people to come up with sayings and things that would that would you know indicate that you were a pilot. And my contribution to that was, you know, you're a pilot if you're driving your car and you want to slow down and you instinctively try and pull back on the steering wheel. <laughs> um, yep. So, uh, anyways, uh, Jeb, uh, two more items here. Let's see if we can finish yeah. this up. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Fifteen hundred hour rule. What the heck here? This is this has to do with uh, we, we are more pilots. So let's just take ones that we, don't have as much experience, right? We are gonna, we are going to talk about this though. Well, yeah, you, you said you wanted to. Oh, well, um, <laughs> it's it's careful what you ask for, man. Careful what you ask for. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, we've had um, requirements. The fifteen hundred hour rule, and in, in, let's, let's back up. Fifteen hundred hour requirement yeah. has been part of the air transport pilot certificate minimum standards um, for decades, as far as I recall. Yeah, it's not a, something new. It's not something they just dreamed up. Um, in the aftermath, especially of the uh, Colgan uh, Colgan uh, three thirty four oh nine tragedy, which was a a dash eight, I believe it was. Was that uh, that icing stall thing? Yes, up outside in? Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo. Icing. Yeah, okay, I remember. Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, this was back in the nineties. I don't remember exactly when. Yeah. Um, and um, should accident shouldn't have happened. Um, very young fo, uh, not so seasoned captain. Uh, decided to hold in icing uh, conditions and, um, you know, oops, uh, the inevitable happened. Right. And uh, killed everybody aboard. Right. There was a, a big outcry about this because there rightly should have been. Uh, and um, some A rule, which was basically, I think, uh, you have to have an ATP to, to be crew on an airplane of such and such a size. Um, in scheduled service, something like that. I don't recall, but you, the 1,500-hour rule applies because you have to have the ATP. All right. So um, fast forward to where we are now. Uh, three years ago, um, basically there was no air transportation. No one was flying. You could get, a, you could get on an airplane um, and uh, you know, have a road of yourself and all this kind of stuff. Well, obviously that's all changed. Uh, a lot of a lot of demographics have changed since uh, uh, 2020 and the pandemic and all this. And a lot of pilots who got furloughed have not come back to flying the line. Um, even while um, demand for air transportation has, has increased dramatically, in, in some areas probably greater than it was before 2020, before the pandemic. So there's a move to... And because there's a pilot shortage, and not coincidentally, there's also a mechanic shortage, uh, an air traffic controller mm-hmm. shortage, and probably a flight attendant shortage, for all I know. Uh, because uh, who wants to hang around an airport? Um, present uh, company, except raise, of course. Raising my hand. Oh, right. Well, raising my hand. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> who wants to hang around an airport terminal at... Oh, know, oh an airline else. airport. No. An airline yeah, that's airport. Different. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. That, no, that's completely no, no. different. Um, so... Regional airlines are, have been taken into the shorts um, um, over uh, pilot training. And they, you know, once they train somebody and get them in the cockpit and actually, you know, flying revenue flights, 
they've got some airline experience and boom, they're out of there. They're moving to Delta or American or whatever, uh, going to the big leagues uh, and getting an FO job there. Um, leaving uh, very inexperienced, I won't say very inexperienced, but but um, leaving it very hard for the RAA and its member uh, airlines to fill their crews, to, to fill their seats, to fill, fill their cockpits. Right. And that's what this is all about. Um, and it basically comes down to money. Uh, um, but in my mind, it really kind of sort of comes, well, are we going to have one level of safety, one safety standard where if you buy a ticket on a certain size airplane, everybody's got the same basic training and the same basic experience? Or are we going to have go back to a bifurcated system where, yeah, you can buy that ticket, but it's not an Airbus. It's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's another light twin, shall we say. And uh, um, the pilots may, may or may not have the same level of experience as the, the, the Airbus you just got off. So, me, I kind of think we should kind of stick with the one standard of safety. And everybody on the, in the front seats should have the same basic level of training if we're going to have the same basic level of service offered to the public. And uh, that's kind of where I come down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts on this, Emily? Is maybe not your no, I Yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, honestly, we could probably go on for another hour talking about all of the ins and outs of whether it's the 1,500-hour uh, requirement or whether it's, you know, the way the structure is, especially like at Part 141 flight schools mm-hmm. with, you know, mm-hmm. you have all these instructors that are just get to 1,500, get to 1,500, get to 1,500. And then, you know, you have flight, you know, student pilots who come in and they go through four instructors in two months. And so yeah. what level of training are they receiving? Um, the pay, which at, you know, everything – like I know regional pay used to be crap and now it's a lot better, obviously. Uh, but uh, there's lots of other, you know, facets of professional pilots that don't have great pay, including CFIs typically. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I think, ins and outs to all of that. And I think it, we kind of have to look at it from a whole, I don't think they need to make a sweeping change to the 1500 hour requirement just because we're at a pilot shortage. I know there's some other things being tossed around in regards to CFIs and some of the requirements that they have to have before they can start signing off um, other CFIs. And um, I, I think some of those are really bad ideas, too, because I think we're just, you know, we've got babies training babies out there. And um, it, I don't think that's going to up our level of safety. I think it's going to diminish it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. Um, uh, it's, uh, you, know, you know, they recently made it more difficult. It was one of the changes out of the, the um, Buffalo crash was to uh, um, did not well they ch- they changed the- <laughs> do you still have a landline Jeb is that the problem I do I do <laughs> yeah. because because you can't silence I, your I, landline you gotta unplug that sucker I don't have no, good he not only has a landline he uses his hand li- landline <laughs> This is he. He actively makes calls and receives calls on this landline. Um, he's and yeah. He's just that's because that's what it is. Cell phone um, audio quality sucks. 
Yeah, that's um, true. He lives out in the middle of nowhere. He has no cell phone service oh, out there. Oh, so, okay. Uh, All right. Um, yeah, that's, I'll, I'll cut him that break. But I'll allow anyway. it. Anyways, I'm sorry. Okay. What were we saying here? Oh, what hours. were we saying? Um, I don't know. I don't remember either. I have um, a solution. We'll just let we'll let the airlines go to single pilot, and they'll suddenly have twice as many yeah. pilots. Then we'll have lots more so, co- lots more what, conversations what about random about planes a, going down. I what know. were we talking about? About a citation with a single pilot? I know, I know, I know. But but let's let's let me quickly add. The, the, there's yeah, very very. Uh, there's a non-zero possibility, but it's very small that two pilots aboard that citation uh, would have uh, survived that flight. Right. Well, if the the issue truly was a pressurization issue, exactly. then, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, y- you'd think. I mean, it, it, it was, certainly would have been a better percentage situation. Yeah, I agree. Um, isn't it true? Is, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is just like from the movie Airport or something like that. Um, that the airlines oh, have a requirement that when the when one of the pilots has to leave the flight deck, the other pilot has to go on oxygen. Depends on the altitude. Uh, okay. All right. Anyways. All right. Finally, um, let's see now. Uh, so, Emily, from your from your vast experience in the airport business. Um, what's the weirdest thing you ever some, saw somebody do in their hangar? And, and I just having said that, realize that sounds really bad. Um, yeah, I mean, I can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's keep you cap family, after dark. Family yeah. podcast. Family yeah, well, podcast. All right, um, but, I, I also think I would probably have quit my job if I'd have seen anything going on in a hangar that I couldn't talk about on this podcast yeah. so far. Okay. Um, not, I haven't seen anything inappropriate, but, um, you know, it's it's always interesting to me the, uh, of course now with the prevalence of you know social media and, um, you know whether it's YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, you know, and people are you know the having a cool hanger is kind of in now because you you take pictures of your hanger and you take videos in your hanger and then you post it and you know so it's like it's not just storage anymore now it's like we want to have a cool place with like lights and a couch and like you know have it kind of be a hangout um so it's you know and and myself included so i mean i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that like it's it's great i think to have a have it be a place where you know folks can gather and good old hanger flying and all that um but yeah so i feel like the level of like hangers is actually going up for a lot of people as far as like it being cleaner and nicer and neater now some of that may include some things that are probably against the airport rules and regulations as an airport manager i um you know spend a lot of time looking over those things writing those things reviewing those things and you know you're not supposed to have like open flames and grills and fire pits and stuff like that so there's people that have that obviously but you know um other than that I, i i don't feel like i've seen anything crazy other than just like yeah, uh, like motorhomes or something, you know, well, like that, like storage. Right, and that's that's sort of the question. So the story that I'm referring that spawns this um, is a story from I believe this is Abweb, yeah, Abweb.com. Uh, um, that uh, let's see, you know, reading from the story on June 9, 20. Oh, wait, this go back to 2016. Wow, I didn't realize it was that long ago. Um, anyways, the FAA um, finally... So once upon a time... Now I'm not reading from the story. Now I'm just remembering. Once upon a time, the FAA used to be really strict about how you could mm-hmm. use a hangar. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and people pushed back on that, um, saying that, you know... 
they pushed back on it. Um, right. And somewhere along the line, the FAA actually came out with what seems to me, at least from this story, to be a pretty reasonable standard um, mm-hmm. for what's an acceptable use of a, of a hangar. Uh, let me, as an aside, let me ask you: um, Your airport does does your airport receive FAA funds? Yes. So you are subject to these rules. Um, yes, we're subject um, to grant assurances. Yes. So, um, so they they said basically they said as long as you're genuinely kind of I'm I'm paraphrasing here now good faith using the airplane the the hangar mm-hmm. for aviation purposes to store an mm-hmm. airplane, um, and as long as that airplane is 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 actually accessible, you know you can tax you can pull it out easily. Right. Then then there are most anything else you might want to use and you know so if you want to have a couch or a tv or a, right. or uh you know a fridge um, yeah, yeah a, a workbench a you know whatever all right those things are are okay as far as the fa once upon a time that was not the case fa used to say mm-hmm. say absolutely not you put you put airplanes in there period you couldn't even mm-hmm. build an airplane for a while there that was kind of weird um so uh, you needed to have an airworthy airplane in your hangar so anyways mm-hmm. Um, Jeb, this obviously doesn't apply to your hangar, but no. uh, what, what your, any thoughts on this whole thing, this whole subject? Um, no. <laughs> uh, well, I, okay, I, I apparently think, there is some, Yeah, okay, go ahead. Um, in, Emily, no offense, I have had on occasion um, uh, discussions with airport management over the years about... Um, where and when, what I can do, you know, on a tie down, mm-hmm. um, and what I might have uh, in my hangar, things like that. Um, so far, I've 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 uh, prevailed in all those discussions, um, but uh, that doesn't mean that uh, I will the next time. It also doesn't mean you know I, I was right in, or whatever. But I do think there needs to be a place where I can work on an airplane, even if I don't have a hangar. Uh, I do think that uh, uh, some hangers are. Uh, I've I've seen some pretty elaborate hangers, and and um, uh, right with 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 you know poker tables and you know, pool tables even yeah. um, um, lofts and in, in these kinds of things. And uh, uh, clearly, someone is spending a lot of time in that hangar. It's it's right. almost a social. Uh, well, um, thing and, and that's okay. Uh, um, um, I I, uh, I I see the, some of the points in here about you know if there's not an airplane in the hangar and it's just a bunch of old cars or you're storing your RV in there or you know something like that that's probably not uh, um, appropriate. Um, right. But there's a you know there one man's or one woman's uh, um, uh, treasure is someone else's trash. Uh, right. And well, I, I think it to, all. I don't know I, how to split that baby. I think ahead, it all comes ahead. down to, from from my perspective of an airport manager, especially at a GA airport right now, hangar space is like limited. Like yes, we all need more hangars. Every airport in America that people actually want to fly into that doesn't have like a rotting runway or something. We all need hangers and we all don't have the funds to build the hangers we need. There are, you know, back in the day, people didn't care to leave their airplanes tied down outside all the time. Now everybody wants to put them in a hangar and understandably so I want my airplane in a hangar. So I get it. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, to me, it's a, it's a matter of, 
you know, not nitpicking of, oh, well, you have, like, even when it goes to, like, fire pits or grills. Okay, my airport rules and regulations prohibit that. However, I'm not going around inspecting people's hangers to see if they have that. But it's more of a liability on our end to be able to say, like, hey, you signed that you knew you weren't supposed to have this. And if it causes an issue, you know, that's on you. Um, Versus it being a document that I'm going to go around and, like, you know, nail to someone's door and say, you're not allowed to have this and I'm being mean about it. Um, but, but also as far as like RVs and all that kind of stuff goes, like if you have room in your hangar to put one airplane and you can fit whatever else in there, as long as it's not something that's 100% for sure going to set the whole place on fire, I don't care. Because mm-hmm. if you're putting an airplane in there, especially an airplane that you're either actively, you know, working on or building um, or, you know, flying, then that's good. That's what we want. We want airworthy airplanes or we want airplanes that are, I mean, gosh, our cub has to go down, you know, every once in a while for sometimes months at a time, if we're having to recover it, or if, you know, it goes down for an overhaul or whatever it is. So that happens obviously. And that's totally fine. But you know, if you've got an airplane, that's what we call the hangar queen that's sitting there collecting dust, doing nothing, then that's even if the, the tenant is paying their rent, when it becomes an issue of, okay, now I've got three other people who want to put their airplanes in that same hangar space and they fly their airplanes, they buy fuel, they, you know, contribute to the uh, revenue of the airport versus this other, you know, airplane that just sits there and pays their rent and that's it. Then now it becomes a matter of being able to say, and you can based on what that FAA document says. Like if I have somebody that's sitting there collecting dust and I am totally out of space, I can kick them out for Mm -hmm. an airworthy airplane or, you know, something that's actually going to be moving and not just sitting there uh, for years and years on end. So I think that's where you kind of have to figure out what the, what the line is. It's not necessarily about let's make a list of what you should have, what you shouldn't have, but it's, it's, are you using it for its general purpose? Anything outside of that, you know, as long as it's not something that's harmful to somebody else, then who cares? But as long as you're using that space, the way it's intended to be used, whether it's storing an aircraft, working on an aircraft, building an aircraft, all of that's good. That's what we want. That's what airports are for. That's what hangars are for. That's what helps keep things going. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, I'm just curious, how many hangers do you have? I have 16 T-hangers. Mm-hmm. And then we have, right now, we have two large community hangers, so one 8,000 square feet, one 10,000 square feet. We just are in the process of completing another 10,000 square feet hangar that our community college flight school is going to be moving into. Um, but the other two hangars that I have right now are mostly just kind of community hangar space, okay. like aircraft storage. Um, cool. so, yeah. and, are, and, and are there any vac- vacancies or is it no, full? You, I am 100% sort of... slap full right now. And do you yeah. have a waiting? I, I, what yeah. I'm actually getting to, is there a waiting list? And if so, what do you tell people to expect now when they get on your waiting list? So Time-wise. my waiting list is probably a little different from some people because my waiting list is actually for tea hangers. So I okay. have a lot of people who are currently in the community hangar that want to have a tea hanger because they don't want to have to rely on the airport staff to come out there and move somebody else's airplane out of the way so that uh-huh. they can get their airplane out. Or they have to think about if they want to go fly at 5 a.m. on a Sunday, they have to call us on Saturday to make sure we can move the planes around beforehand, you know, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Okay. Yep. Um, so, you know that's where the waiting list is. And I mean, I I just basically tell people like 
unless I for sure know like, Hey, so-and-so said they're going to sell their airplane. So I may have an opening here in the next month or two. Um, I, I have no idea. Like I don't expect any of these people are going anywhere anytime soon. So it could be who knows how long before a, you know, hangar becomes available. And I mean, that's mm-hmm. definitely happened. Like I have people that are on my list that have been on there for three years, you know, now wow. one will come open and then, you know, six months later, maybe another one will come open, but it's a very slow moving list. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and what's the limitation f- that, to keep you from adding more hangers? Is it purely financial or, or are there regulations that uh, does the town, the town owns the airport you said. So I would imagine yes. they'd be, they'd be game to add hangers assuming there's some money available. Yes. Well, no? that money is definitely the issue. So yeah, okay. um, the, the most recent set of T hangers, we got a, a set of six T hangers added in May of 2020. And that was those, those hangers were supposed to go in, I believe late 2018 and then we had a, that was before I came along, but there was a horrible issue. The contractor walked off the site. It was a whole big deal. And it was basically a hole in the ground for almost a year. Um, well, and there was so, something else going on in the world at that time. Uh, well, not, yeah. no, not at that time. There wasn't, not in 2018 and 2019. There was in no, 2020, okay, right. but, yeah, but okay, not, yeah, right, not yeah. before then. So the contractor yeah. walked off the site and left it a huge mess. And then it was supposed Ouch. to be a, a 100% like, uh, well, not 100%, but it was, it was an FAA-funded job. So, like, yeah. you know, the city was supposed to add in 2.5%, the state added in 7.5%, and then the FAA paid for 90% of the job. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because it ended up being left the way it did, then funding got all messed up, screwed around, blah, 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 because the FAA doesn't yeah. just say, yeah, okay, you've got your money and you can use it anytime you want. Like, there's, you know, limitations <laughs> to that. So the city actually came in and funded for the hangers to actually be completed um, in 20, in, you know, spring of 2020. Um, so they've, you know, and, and I will say, um, I, I have seen a lot of airports run a lot of different ways and how involved the local government is, whether it's a city or a county. Um, I work for a very, very supportive local government. Our current yeah. administration is very, um, they, they see the value of the airport and they're very supportive, both financially and otherwise. I mean, if you come to one of our events, if you come to our Beach Bash in the Bluegrass event, if you're a Beechcraft person, it's the place to be at the end of April. And our mayor is out there driving people around in shuttles. So, I mean, it's very, they're very, very supportive. But they also, you know, can't just continue to throw, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at, on yeah. hangers all sure. of the time. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's it's definitely a, a funding issue. And, and the city did go out and find additional funding for this hangar that we've just built. We got a grant through the Delta Regional Authority to construct this hangar um, mm-hmm. for the flight school. But of course, that was also that grant was granted uh, probably three years ago. And the prices of things have changed. So a $500,000 grant didn't doesn't go as far now as it did three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the city's had to kick in a lot of extra money to help get that project completed. Um, so yeah, the, the idea of just saying, well, let's just build a new set of T hangers where you're, you're looking at well over a million dollars, you know, for six to eight T hangers, um, is, you know, a hard pill to swallow right now for yeah, our city. I bet. So. I bet. I bet. What was that event that you just mentioned? Was it, did you say the beach bash? Yes. Beach bash in the bluegrass. So we beach. just, Jeb, you, we see, just, you hear, you're hearing her, right? I'm hearing all this. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah so right. it's, uh, and the last weekend in April, um, we just had our second annual. So next year will be our okay. third. It's grown every year. 
Um, it's a really, really fun, kind of a different aviation event from a, a lot of the other ones that you go to. Um, I think it's a little bit more um, grassroots. You know, we we take you yeah. to a bourbon distillery. We got bluegrass music oh, going. Like you just got my uh, attention. Uh, yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> we want to show you what Kentucky's all about when you come to that event. So it's a it's a fun that event for great. sure. That sounds great. Uh, Jeb, any final thoughts on this subject? Um, bourbon distillery thing sounds really nice. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, anyways. All right. Uh, it's way past fork time. This has been great. This has been very, very cool. Emily, what a pleasure to meet you and talk with you. And, uh, Absolutely. Thank, thank you for joining us. Hopefully, you'll be able to join us uh, some more in the future as time goes on. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, where are my little, my little notes here? Let's see. That's Emily. Emily Heron. Emily is a third-generation private pilot who grew up flying with her dad. She's the manager of a mid-sized general aviation airport in western Kentucky and is the proud co-owner of a 1946 Piper J3 Cub, which has been in her family since 1949. You can find Emily on the internet at www.emilyattheairport.com, and she's at Emily at the airport in most places where you can get your social media. Um, if you're a coffee fan, by the way, uh, you might want to check out Emily's 4-5 Hotel branded coffee. Um, I haven't tried it yet, but it sounds pretty tasty. Uh, and uh, as part of each purchase, the, the part of each purchase price is donated to Hope on Short Final, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to airlift recovery supplies to communities affected by natural disasters. 4-5 Hotel Coffee is a product of Hangar 22 Coffee. And you can learn more about all of this at hangar22coffee.com slash products slash four five dash hotel spell out the word hotel uh, and then if if you're really lucky we'll combine the bourbon distillery with the coffee yeah <laughs> yeah there we go there we is thank you emily uh and jeb jeb burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor he serves as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine he's also a free, frequent contributor to other aviation publications you can find jeb's work online at aviationsafetymagazine.com also avweb.com and aea.net among others on social media he's at burnside j on Twitter, um, his avi- his magazine, Aviation Safety Magazine, is at is Av Safety Mag. Also on Twitter, on Mastodon, Mastodon can't even talk. Uh, Mastodon, uh, he's Burnside J at mytransponder.com. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most of the usual places with the username Jack Hodgson. Twitter slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson. In the Fediverse, I am Jack Hodgson at Mastodon.social. And you can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section. Uh, thanks everyone for taking time to listen. Um, you can follow UCAP in the Fediverse, uh, Mastodon at uncontrolled airspace at mytransponder.com. Um, and if possible, please become a supporter of this podcast at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal tip jar donation care of the email address podcast at uncontrolled airspace.com. Just 10 or $15 spread out over the span of a year is a big, big help. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you. You can also send us email to that same address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Um, you can send us your comments, your questions, and uh, I don't know, whatever. So anyways, uh, Jeb, any words of wisdom for us here? Uh, the only time you have too much fuel is when you're on fire. Like <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's enough talking. Let's go flying. <laughs>